Amen. Amen. Hey, y'all, please take a seat. So excited to be with you. My name's John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. Welcome. If, if it's your first time hanging out with us, somebody dragged you, brought you to the Springs, invited you, said they'd buy you lunch, or you've been coming for a long time, we are really glad that you guys are here. If you live in Texas, maybe you're visiting. I've met a couple of visitors this past week. You've noticed something changing the past week. There's this thing that's approaching, that's exciting, that brings joy and hope and wonder into the world. Some of you might be thinking it hasn't been 100 degrees out. Can we praise God for that if we've lived here? Right? Anybody hung out on a porch, patio, like you've done that? But then I love this time of year because there's a holiday coming. There's a holiday that I just can't wait for. What, what holidays are we facing? Okay, I heard Thanksgiving, Christmas, Halloween. Y'all know what I start thinking about in October? Y'all know what I start looking forward to in October? Some of y'all gonna hate me for this. What'd you say? Pumpkin spice. I know y'all are watching at home, you can't hear people yell at me. But by the way, crowd participation this week, we are up. Way to go! Pumpkin spice, yes, I love that. But here's the thing, like October comes and I immediately, I'm like on my toes, leaning forward, looking to, no, he was, he was talking about a festival, it's a tribute to beer and sausage, no, 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 much holier than that. No, 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 I'm looking to Christmas. I know some of you, you don't like me now because I just kind of like look past Halloween. It's great. We'll do it. I'll look past Thanksgiving. I love food. I love family. Love sitting around a table. And I start thinking about Christmas. When you start talking about Christmas to folks, it evokes all different kinds of feelings. Some people, immediately, you get these positive emotions of like family and connections and celebration and playing the game of like uh, white Christmas or Yankee candle or whatever where you like gift swap and you steal from your grandmother, your sister, and it starts funny, ends upset. You have that. Some folks have these moments and these feelings of, oh man, Christmas is the time of the year where alcohol sales skyrockets. Anxiety increases. Depression goes up. People see family in a different way. It's this time of the year that brings out all these feelings. What do you feel when you think about it? I know it might sound strange that I start even talking about that, but it has to do actually with the passage of where we're going to be today. Because I'm so excited because at the heart of the first Christmas story, where if you grew up in church, you'd know about this, if not, the birth of Jesus Christ, Bethlehem, manger. Before that happened, there was an engaged boyfriend and girlfriend, you might call them betrothed, as your Bible will, fiancés. And there was a man by the name of Joseph, who the first Christmas story for him is he's finding this out. His first emotional jump wasn't to joy and presence. If you know the story well, it was likely closer to a sense of betrayal, a sense where the woman that he was pledged to be married to, came to tell him, hey, I'm pregnant with a child, and the child isn't yours. That's a different feeling for Christmas. That's where we're going to start. 
If you have a Bible, read with me. We're going to read Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read all the way verses 18 through 25, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to frame it of how we're going to work through it. So you can read with me on your own, or, or you can look up here on the screen, whichever you prefer. First, before Christmas story. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, we'll talk about what betrothal means, but think really serious form of engagement. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. I imagine you all know what came together means. Came to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Your Bible or a different translation would say privately, secretly. We'll talk about that. But as he, being Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to make Mary, or do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He's quoting here Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Matthew, the author, he's referencing that. Isaiah writes, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Right, so if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this story. It's a great, like, Christmas passage, and here's where we are. We're going to talk about Christmas in October, which is what I always want to do, and now I have a biblical excuse to do. Except you got to think about it. How did this first Christmas story start? Christmas is a time where movies come out. Anybody seen the movie The Holiday? Yeah, if you haven't, you should. I think it's appropriate, if I remember the best of my recollection. It's this romantic, okay, no, all right. I'm being rebuked, that's fine. You're watching online, you can watch it, watch it not, right? It's this romantic comedy where hearts come, relationships grow, and you think it's Christmas time. I want to spend the holidays with somebody. Maybe I get some hot cocoa, I snuggle under a blanket, whatever that might be. This first pre-Christmas story isn't about lovers coming together, but Joseph saying, hey, I feel betrayed. I have to end this. And then an angel of the Lord appearing to him as he slept in a dream. And then from that, waking the next morning, knowing it would come with great cost, but embracing a call to faithfulness. I will marry Mary, and I will raise Jesus. That first moment it really starts with a dilemma. A dilemma, and you guys know this, a dilemma is any choice or decision you have where you have conflicting options. To say it differently, a lot of times people talk about dilemmas where it's like where you're in a moment and it's you're between a rock and a hard place. It's where there is no easy or obvious answer. Joseph, his fiance, coming and by all accounts telling him, Hey, I'm pregnant. Dilemma. What I want to do is spend our time today talking about, as we work our way through the book of Matthew, this next section, I want to talk about Joseph's dilemma. 
The reason I want to talk about this is because is I think, one, not only does it speak to the beauty and the power of God Almighty, why he loves you, why he loves me, why he came for you, why he came for me, and how from that we are called to live differently. It speaks to that. But I think in here, there's also an honest recognition of something that's true. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ, here's something that you know. You face dilemmas all the time. You face spiritual dilemmas all the time. Moments where it feels rock and hard place. Even if you know exactly what you should do, even if it is crystal clear in a moment where righteousness would have you go, you have moments like I have moments like, well, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to follow. I don't know if in the midst of what's happening to me, I can trust, I can forgive, I can obey, or to say it differently, I don't know if I want to. We face dilemmas. You face these even if you don't believe in Jesus, right? It's perhaps spiritual for you even if you wouldn't attach the name Jesus to it, but you come and you face dilemmas. Do I move here? Do I move there? Do I date them? Do I date them? Do I marry them? Do I marry them? You face dilemmas. It's an amazing thing to think about. An aspect of the birth of the Savior came with a dad who it wasn't his biological son. He, by all accounts, we would call him a stepdad, a foster dad, an adoptive dad. But it would come with a moment where Joseph, he was likely 17 years old, Mary, they say approximately 14, somewhere in that age range. A 17-year-old with a dilemma who faithfully comes and follows. So again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at 18 through 25. We're going to see this kind of breakdown, this dilemma of Joseph in three ways. The first way we're going to see this is the beginning section where we're going to see the cost. What was the real crux of the dilemma? What was the cost? What did it mean for Joseph to embrace the role of marrying Mary? The calling is going to be the second thing we talk about. What was the purpose? What was the placement on Jesus' life why an angel of the Lord would appear to him in a dream at night and say, no, no, no. This is why you take her as your wife. And the third thing, the commitment. What does it look like for a 17-year-old man to wake up from an angelic dream and to recognize amazing cost is ahead of me? Well, let's go. That's where we're going to be. So again, turn with me, Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read 18 through 15 again. In the narrative of Matthew, if you're with us last week, here's why the author Matthew is putting this here. Last week, if you were with us, he introduces the truth of Jesus Christ being born from a virgin. You can go back and listen to more about it last week. That is a huge linchpin to the entirety of Christian theology. The Virgin Mary is essential Right here, Matthew, he knows his claim. And now he's almost going to give a background, an insight into why, hey, let me tell you the background story of what took place. Sometimes, even when movies, you have those moments where superheroes or characters, they do the prequel. They do the origin story, the background. That's what Matthew as an author is doing here, as he's writing this to a Jewish audience. 
So read with me. I'm going to read verses 18 through 19, and we're going to jump back in. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So as we understand Joseph's dilemma, the first thing that you and I have to recognize is what was the cost? What was the cost of Joseph hearing this from Mary, by all accounts, and then moving forward with it? There's some aspects in in a 21st century context that we understand. Like if you came and all of a sudden someone you had been with came to you and said, hey, I'm pregnant, we would all feel an emotional thing in that moment. Right? We can, we can connect. We can understand in that way. But if it came and then they said, hey, hey, but you're not the father. Even in a 21st century context, we can connect. We can understand. Some of you, you've, you've experienced that moment. You've had to work through that in your own life. But there are parts of this we have to understand about a first century Jewish context. Let me share with you that first century Jewish context is it really frames up why was this such a big deal? What was the cost? The cost of marrying Mary. The cost of what would come, raising Jesus. The dilemma. First, let me give a little background on what betrothal meant. Right? Some of you, you may have heard that. It's a strange word, carries a little bit more tradition. Betrothal in a first century Jewish context, it was common. The way you would think about it You would think about it like being engaged today, except far more serious. You were legally married. You were financially married. Finances were all together. The only difference is is you hadn't consummated the marriage and you didn't live together. It was a one-year time period. It was a one-year time period. Oftentimes, these marriages were arranged by parents, right? And they would come together and they'd say, okay, we'll set this up. There's going to be one year. Joseph is going to go away and he's going to prepare in that year time frame with money he has saved up to build his house in preparation for Mary. Mary is going to stay with the parents. They weren't allowed to even be alone together. And then you go and you get married. This is why your Bible is using language of betrothal. It's why it's more serious than ours. Like, if you're engaged, 21st century America, we call you fiancés. They call each other husband and wife. In 21st century, if you're engaged and you want to end the relationship, as heartbreaking as that is, what do you call that? A breakup. What does he call it? A divorce. What did you need biblically? And by the way, Matthew, he's going to talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage in the future. We need to remember this passage. But you needed sexual immorality to take place to end a betrothal. Right here, you have this serious moment where Joseph comes and Mary shares this. And that was their relationship. It would have brought about great cost. How did she tell him? How did she break the news? We we don't exactly know. We can fill in some gaps with, with a real sense of integrity, though. Right? If we were to jump to Luke chapter 1, Mary finds out before she's pregnant, before she's conceived, as an angel of the Lord comes and appears to her and says, no, no, you will conceive. It's after that time she's pregnant. 
by all accounts, Mary likely, she would have gone and she would have told Joseph. She would have told Joseph, Joseph, I have something amazing and miraculous to tell you. You're not going to understand, but here, let me share with you. Well, Mary, what is it? Well, Joseph, I don't think you're going to get it. I'm a little scared. This is what I would say. I'm a little scared of how you're going to react. I'm nervous that you're going to blame me. I'm nervous you're going to leave me. Joseph, I have been faithful. I have been committed to you. But here, I have to tell you this. You have to know. Mary, you can tell me anything. She says, I'm pregnant. I would respond, who's the dad? Who's the guy in town? Who are you with? How did you break that pledge? We don't know exactly how he responded. I wonder if Mary said, no, no, no. This is miraculous. An angel came. An angel told me. I have conceived by the power of God. God is the father. I would respond and be like, that is the worst excuse ever. Ever. Right? And he's first century Jew. So here's what that meant. Maybe she even connected to Joseph. Do you know the promises of the Messiah? the one that we wait for, Yahweh, the one to come to save. Because remember, Joseph, he's described as a just man. What that meant was he was righteous, not perfect. He was upright in character. He obeyed the law of God. Joseph had faith in Yahweh. Maybe she tried to connect that dot. Joseph, sitting there, listening, he resolves in his heart, I'm ending this. Why? This would bring about tremendous cost to Joseph's life. You'd find cost in multiple ways. You would find the cost of socially, he would walk into town, and imagine this, this was Nazareth at the time, he would walk into town, and throughout his life, he'd be known as, I wonder who Jesus' real dad is. Can you imagine, if you're a parent, you might, (coughs) excuse me, if you're a parent, you might know this, Do you take after someone in your family? Ah, man, this is bad. Sorry, guys. Anybody by chance have a cough drop? Yes? Could someone carry a cough drop for my friend, sweet Georgia Brown? Don't, please don't make Georgia come bring that. If y'all are nervous, there's like 47 feet between me and the crowd. We're fine. Y'all don't care. That's why you're here. Um, <laughs> too soon. My bad. It's not COVID, I think. Uh, thank you, Shannon. I think we're talking about Joseph, right? Hey, thank you. I'll take two of those. Right, so he, here, you ever had someone say, oh, man, you really take after your father. You really take after your mother. Joseph likely never would have heard that about Jesus. That's a cost. The rest of Joseph's life, as well as Jesus's, as well as Mary's, that family was associated with infidelity, immorality. Pharisees would be arguing with Jesus later in Jesus' life, and they would accuse him by saying, we weren't born from fornication like you were, Jesus. You come from sin. We don't. That's almost 30 years later after this moment. Huge cost. Having a firstborn, in particular a firstborn male, was of huge value. 
Jesus was not Joseph's biological firstborn. He would raise someone else's son. I wonder if he doubted, did Mary cheat? He resolves to divorce her quietly. I imagine as Mary shared it with him, I honestly do think, and we don't know, again, I'm taking from Luke 1, and I'm filling in gaps as you go along. She tells Joseph before an angel of the Lord appears to him. I wonder if Mary, and I imagine she did, she appealed to, no, the angel has told me, this child is the son of God. This is a miracle. I wonder if Joseph said, I don't believe you. But let's say even if you're right, Mary, even if that's true, God would never put me through that. God would not ask me to carry that burden. Y'all ever heard the statement, God won't give you anything more than you can handle? So if you know your Bible, you know that's completely untrue. God will absolutely give you things you cannot handle so that as you fall to your knees, you will only have him to depend on. Have you ever found yourself in a situation of saying, this can't be the will of God, the promise of God, the path of God. The cost is too high. He would not ask me to do that. He would not ask me to come and adopt these kids in this situation. He would not ask me to come and give that sacrificially. He would not ask me in the midst of the dysfunction of everyone else to make the primary person I focus on me. That when I want to point the finger and blame and sin and show everyone else their dysfunction, surely he wouldn't say, you start with you. Do you think Joseph wondered about that? Have you ever wondered if God really loved me, he wouldn't still have me single? If God really loved me, he wouldn't have given me this desire. If God really loved me, he would not allow me to endure and suffer. We don't know exactly if Joseph wondered that, but it's reasonable that he did. It's understandable that we do. I was having dinner with a family not too long ago. I was getting to know them. I'd never hung out with them before. I was asking the husband, well, hey, do you have a faith? Trying to get to know him. He was a Christian. He told me a story as I'm just asking about their life. He describes his wife. His wife was a NICU nurse. So she worked in neonatal intensive care. In the NICU, she talks about how part of the things that changed their family's life was there was a patient. There's a child that had been born, and this child had been born with extreme delays and a lot of medical hardship that was going to mark this child's life for the rest of its life. I don't know the full story, and I didn't get to ask at all, but in essence, over time, and I mean months, in a NICU, that child becomes functionally abandoned by his family. So much so that the, the people on the floor, the physicians, the charge nurse, starts talking with people there. Is there anyone that would like to take this child home? Is there anyone that would like to take this child home? Now, because of the position as nurse or physician, through foster care, you could do a type of kinship, as I understand it, that would allow you to do that legally. They were newlyweds. 
Newlywed time, that's the time you're supposed to enjoy marriage. Yes, you're praying, you're thinking about kids, but that's where our culture, we would come and talk about, well, I want to travel. I want to save money. I want to explore. I want to do all I can. And then, hey, hey, I'll settle down because that's what kids will do. Yeah, parents are like, "Uh uh-huh. What did this couple do? Surely God wouldn't ask them to do that. Surely God wouldn't expect someone to pay such a high cost in the moment of a dilemma. You know how the story ends. They take that boy home. They call that boy son. He required so much around-the-clock care, she had to leave her full-time job just to take care of him. She looked after him. He looked after him for years. They applied for formal adoption. Through the state, they filed papers. They did everything that they could, but for some reason, the state wasn't allowing it. They continued to try to find different family members, and they had sought looking for other family members, but they are trying to adopt this boy. They're growing in a sense of love, and then all of a sudden, as they're working through this process, a family member raises their hand and says, we will take the boy. Then there's the moment of the one that they raised, they loved, they'd spent years with him, then it goes to another family. Would God Almighty ask people to pay a cost, to sit in a dilemma, to wrestle with what many of us would describe as excruciating turmoil? Yes. You see that at the beginning of the Christmas story. Joseph's dilemma came with a cost. I want to read now about the dream. There's this moment where in the midst of the cost, an angel of the Lord, as an act of grace, is going to appear to Joseph in a dream. Read with me verses uh, 20 through, I think, 23. But as he considered these things, so we'll find out in a moment, but Joseph, he basically takes the approach of, I'm going to sleep on it. Right? We'll find that out in a moment. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. If you've been listening the past few weeks, you know the son of David title means a lot. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So as we're trying to understand the the, the dilemma that Joseph is facing, the second thing you have to see is the angel appearing to him in a dream. Why would the angel do that? Here's what was true at this time. The Holy Spirit operated differently then than the Holy Spirit does now. So often what you'll see in your Bible is God giving clarity and insight and direction through dreams. Does that mean he can't still do that today? No, but we have the Holy Spirit in a very different way to bring clarity. And the Spirit comes and tells Joseph, hey, there's a calling on this boy's life. There's a cost that you'll pay, but it's worth it. There's a purpose. An angel Lord addresses the calling, tells Joseph the purpose of why he marries Mary and he raises Jesus. He first tells him what to do. He starts again by that reminder, son of David, which is a title, and then he says something. Do not fear. How did Joseph feel? 
if you're commanded to not be scared, the premise of an understanding angel would be, he was scared. Would you be worried? I would be. He says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Imagine that, right? You're supposed to get engaged and get married. Like we talk about how you're looking forward to this moment, this joy, this glee. You walk down the aisle, you spend all this time anticipating, paying, looking forward to the right dress, the right tux, the right song, all the band members, all the folks invited to the party. Joseph is commanded to walk down the aisle. He's told to walk down the aisle. That's the what. But then the angel's going to give him the why. And it's amazing, your Bible, there's so many what's, calls, commands, but your Bible very often, rarely does it ever not tell you why. God's kind like that. The angel of the Lord tells Joseph why. He gives three reasons for why he's called to marry Mary and raise Joseph. The first reason, he says, Jesus, this child, he is the son of God. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel is confirming what Mary had likely told Joseph, but Joseph probably, I would have been like, hey, that's crazy. Hey, that's crazy. I know that's a promise of a prophecy, but for me, that's not something I want to do. That's crazy. And he's saying, no, this is a miraculous child. This is the promised one. This is the son of God. The second reason is it says, why should he marry Mary, raise Jesus? It says Jesus is the Savior. We're going to focus on this uh, in a moment. But he calls him, he says, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, if you've been with us, you know that name, it literally means Yahweh will save. This statement, more almost rendered out, would say, Yahweh will save. For, speaking of Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. Why was Jesus born in a manger of a virgin to a dad who was a carpenter that likely had little money so he could save you and he could save me from our sins. See, we exist in a culture that very much, and I'm not saying it's even all wrong, is real high on self-help. It's real big on accept who you are, love who you are, you are beautiful, you are perfect just as you are. I'm not saying all of that is wrong. But I'm saying the Christmas story originates in something. Jesus Christ being born to die for your disobedience and your dysfunction and mine. You cannot remove Savior from the truth that people are sinners. The third reason that the angel is telling him why he should do this is he does confirm this Jesus, he is the promised Emmanuel. They shall call his name Emmanuel. This again was another prophecy. It's the one from Isaiah. The angel is saying, no, 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 Joseph, it's all true. It's all true. Take her as your wife. God is going to use you in this. It's all true. 
I think it's interesting, though, the part I want to talk about, you can talk about a lot in this. This statement here of Jesus, he will save his people from their sins, this isn't very much, it's a purpose statement to the book of Matthew. You can almost describe it like an essay has a thesis, a thesis for the story. How many times, though, if you've attended a Christmas Eve service or an Advent series, how many times have you heard the Christmas story preached? Hey, here's the reason for the season. He came to destroy your sin. He came to destroy my sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's heavy. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Hear this. The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason for Christmas, was to destroy the works of the devil. Like, even as I talk about that, like American culture, that's like weird language. It's hard. Like, there's a reason oftentimes, especially in the American church today, people don't teach messages like this. It shifts and it becomes much more. And I understand it. I like to feel good. I like the inspirational part. But it shifts to much more of like, no, no, no. Here's why God, he only wants blessing and hope and prosperity and peace for you. And trust me, he does want you to marked by love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. But he came that you and I might be free from the bondage of sin. I was even talking with some, some folks this past week, and they said, John, why does the Springs talk about sin so much? Why do you, even sin in your own life, why do you talk about it so much? I listen to other folks and I don't. I thought it was great feedback. It gave me a thought on two things. You never want to just focus on sin. You want to focus on the reality of the Savior. But here's what I'm telling you, church. Here's what I'm telling you, person who's here and wrestling with faith. You cannot divorce Jesus Christ as Savior from the reality that you and I have brokenness, and our brokenness led him to a cross. It's from a saving faith where I find forgiveness of my sins, redemption in Christ, that because of that, it is the primary motive by which you and I, church, we are called to live differently. You will not find joy, peace, gentleness, patience, which is walking in the Spirit, if you do not take seriously your sin. I talk with folks all the time, and they're marked in a pain, a fear, an anxiety. Very often, there's a direct connection to undealt with sin. Does that mean you're a terrible person? No. It means you and I are exactly as the Bible said we would be. But it highlights that he's a savior. That it's his calling. It's the reason for the season. Let's look at verses 24, 25, as we see Joseph's response. So he's had this moment in a dream, verses 24 through 25. When Joseph woke up from sleep, so that's how we know he was asleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And then you, you read this, he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name 
Jesus. So as we're understanding Joseph's dilemma, he's faced a cost. An angel of the Lord has appeared with him and said, hey, here's the calling on this boy. And the final thing that you see from Joseph is the commitment. You see Joseph, by faith, responding to God's call to stay, to trust, to lean into the fear, to recognize the dilemma and choose devotion. Joseph, by faith, he responds to God's call to marry Mary and raise Jesus as his own. He obeys. He did as the Lord commanded him. He takes Mary home. He took his wife. He names that boy Jesus. Yahweh will save. It's a fascinating thing when you think about this Christmas story, the dilemma that's at the heart of it, right? What precedes it? You know this if you know your Old Testament, but here's this truth. It's a promise. Following God, it will bring about dilemmas. You will pay costs. It will be hard. Are there wonderful mountaintop moments where you're filled with joy? You can't wait to tell anyone and everyone, we're saying no to sin. It comes easy and natural, and there's like this divine momentum to the holiness of your soul. Totally. And then there's going to come moments where you simply choose to trust God, and that's what it is. It is a choice. Not driven by emotion, but volition. It's a mark of maturity. It's a mark of love. It's a commitment. Joseph, despite the cost, would take Jesus as his boy. He'd raise Jesus. We talked about he was a carpenter. Later on in Jesus' life, he would be described as a carpenter's son. Jesus was even described as a carpenter. Joseph would have had times where, by all accounts, he gave Jesus a craft. They built things, and a carpenter, it wasn't just wood, it would have been stone and iron, but they would have built a relationship. You don't hear much about Joseph in your Bible. The last time you honestly really hear about him is when Jesus is 12. There's a reference to Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, but you don't hear about him as Jesus goes public. Almost all scholars, they attribute that to Joseph likely died. Joseph likely died before his boy went public in proclaiming the gospel. You see Mary in these miracles and you don't see Joseph, but what would maybe have Joseph had? That time with his boy as a carpenter. It started, though, with a dilemma. That's what you saw in Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25, you saw a dilemma. You saw the cost. The cost would have come. What did it mean to be married to Mary, to embrace what would have been the absolute scarlet letter that would have followed them, to have wrestled with, would God really ask me to do this? Yes, he would. The calling. Is this child different? Why has this child come? To save the world from their sins. It's a heavy moment. It's a heavy truth, and it's one that our culture, myself included, we do all we can to weasel ourselves away from it. If you are here and you don't know Christ or you're wrestling with something, there's a truth about you that it brought me freedom. God wants it to bring you freedom. You are broken. You cannot fix yourself. 
No amount of self-help, self-enlightenment, self-discovery, self-pursuit will fix it. You are not the solution to your sins. Jesus is. He knows all of them. He knows exactly the things that cause you the pain, the turmoil, and the fear, and he died for every ounce of it on a cross where God put on him the penalty that was due you, that was due me. He died because of it. Torn from the Father, three days later, he came back. And the way you find the forgiveness, the redemption, the change, is you just believe. You believe it to be true. So many folks here, you might even know that, but that message, it doesn't really carry weight to you. It's not even a dilemma. You're aware of it, but you don't wrestle with it. I hope as you see this cost, as you understand the calling, you wrestle with it. Why? God producing in you a commitment. Whether that be by, by faith in this God, or a commitment to know, here's what he's done for me. Yes, he calls me to hard things. He calls me to challenging things. Is the life marked by joy and fun and peace? Yes, but then there are hard times. I'm going to follow when I don't know if the loved one will live. I'm going to follow when I have that sense by the power of God's spirit. He's asking me to do something that other people are going to look at me and they're just going to say, that doesn't make sense. My friends won't understand. My family won't understand. But the people of God will understand. A commitment. I think about this and I wonder what were some of the reasons Joseph did it. Why did he follow through? He, he was a just man. So what you can pull from just, not wanting to divorce her publicly, that would have brought tremendous shame to Mary, right? Under Old Testament law, that would have literally led to her death. It likely wouldn't have led to her death in this instance, though, because they were under the empire of Rome. Rome had taken away the penalty of capital punishment. So it would have left Mary and this child ostracized. He was a just man. He knew God. An angel appeared and told him he wanted to honor God. So he took her as his wife. He took the boy as his son. I'll close with this. This past weekend, I was playing with my daughter, Lily. She's not, she's not quite four, but she's getting there. So three and a half, four, somewhere in there. We're running around the backyard. She's talking. She's learned how to do all this stuff. And she says, John, 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 John. She just keeps calling me John, right? That's my name. She keeps calling me that. And I say, hey, sweetie, can you please call me dad? And she looks at me and she loves asking why. Very inquisitive. She says, why? I say, I'd like to be called dad. I'm your dad. And she says, but your name is John. And I said, well, yes, my name is John but I like to be called dad. She says, why? Which then leads me into this like, like introspective, existential, philosophical moment of like, what is dadhood, right? And I come and I say, well, hey, here's the best reason I can give. Dad, it's a position. It's a title. And I said to her, it's a privilege. I want you to know. I want me to be reminded. And I want the world to recognize 
I have the privilege of being your dad. She's three and a half. She don't really get that. I can remember as a kid calling my dad Greg. I was a little older than my, my daughter. I said, Greg, Greg, and he stopped me. And I remember a sincere moment with my dad where he said, to the best of my recollection, it was something along these lines. He said, I'm asking you to call me dad. I said, why? He said, because that's something that in raising you, I am trying to earn. Never again called him Greg. We don't know what exactly what Jesus called Joseph. You don't know what title he gave him. Because what was true about Jesus is Jesus' heavenly father was God. He is God, the reality of the Holy Spirit. They combine in this triune Godhead in beauty effect. But there's God the Father and God the Son. He had God the Father in heaven. You see Jesus refer to God in heaven as Father. But what did he call Joseph? Again, history lends itself as a helpful tool in this instance. First thing, oftentimes in our culture, stepdads, adoptive dads, right? It's appropriate. It's respectful. You can call them by a first name. That wouldn't have been true in first century culture. They had stepdads. They had foster dads. You wouldn't have called them that. The second insight you can get biblically is Jesus had siblings. Jesus would have grown up in a house with other siblings that called Joseph dad. So what did he call Joseph? Third thing, there's a moment in your Bible, this is Luke 2, where Mary is talking with Jesus. And Mary says to Jesus, hey, hey, your father. She references Joseph. The word for father in Hebrew, it would have been Abba. Joseph had a dilemma. It came with a cost. There was a calling on the life of Jesus Christ that led by faith in him and the promises of God to a commitment to marry Mary and raise Jesus. And in dealing with the dilemma, what was a privilege that he had by all accounts? The Christ child would have called him dad. He would have got to sit there, perhaps as a carpenter, building a table or working on something, and he would have heard so much until it almost became routine. Dad, could you hand me that? Dad, could I help you with this? He would have built intimacy with that boy and love. What happens when you and I depend on God in the midst of the dilemma? We get to know him always better. That's the beautiful part of Joseph's story. He faced a dilemma. There was cost. But with Jesus, the cost is always worth it. That's the message of Christmas. Let me pray. Jesus, I just thank you for you. I thank you that you came. I thank you that you grant us the sense of almost biblical imagination and creativity to wonder we don't know what you would have called Joseph, but he was your earthly dad. Lord, would you help us in the midst of our dilemmas and difficulties, whether that be we are wrestling with faith itself in you, or we know you and we want to take a next step of faithfulness. Help us to trust you. We thank you that you honor that, you reward that with more of you, which is the greatest thing that we want.
We need your help to do this. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.